and welcome to the If They Can Do It podcast, the podcast that interviews absolutely ordinary people who do extraordinary things and wants you walking away thinking, hey, if they can do it, so can I. And this week, this week, I have to tell you, and this has happened before, you've been on the journey with me. This has happened before where you're scrolling on Instagram and you're just kind of going through, maybe you're on YouTube, you're just on social media scrolling and somebody pops up and within the first 10 seconds, you just feel like this is my people. (laughs) Right, right. Like you're so encouraged right away. You're so excited. And then you just go look at more content. And in today's world, it is just so important to find people who inspire you, who not just inspire you, but who challenge you to be better, who are vulnerable enough to share their life and go, wow, me too, kind of like this podcast. If they could do it, so can I, because the reality is you are not alone. And so when you find somebody who reminds you of that and who just encourages you and walks alongside, that's the kind of guest I have on this week. So put on your seatbelt. Okay, so I'm just, I've been saying your name over and over again, and we were practicing before we hit record. I'm at, how's it going? Yes. You did it good. <laughs> Thank you. you. Nailed it. Thank you. Nailed it. All right. Now now I'm exhausted. I'm done. <laughs> You're gonna have to carry this for the rest of this episode. Relax now. You can relax. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me on. I feel honored that you would come across my content and feel inspired to reach out and give me the opportunity to be interviewed. Usually I'm on the other side of that <laughs> interviewing other people and I'm like, Hey, having these conversations. So I, I feel very happy about it. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. I mean, there's starting a podcast cause you did right. That, well, what's yeah. the name of it for the souls podcast. Okay. All right. And I mean, why, why even start it? Like what made so, you think for me, it was, um, I always felt like there was such a power in testimony. Mm-hmm. And I felt like society as a whole was lacking the authenticity of people. I feel like, you know, social media and just the whole climate online, everything is very unrealistic to what people live on a day-to-day life, you Mm. know, or what they struggle with. So for me, I was like, you know what? I love sharing my testimony. It's my way of almost healing myself as well. Like it's been very therapeutic to me because I've come across so many other people that felt alone, which is where I used to be. Mm -hmm. And then say, Oh my gosh, I am so thankful that you had the courage to share this or speak about this because now I know I'm not the only one going through it. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that suffocating isolation that I felt when I was going through my things and feeling alone in it and feeling misunderstood that I was like, you know what, I'm going to start sharing my stuff, my testimony. And I would like to make this a whole podcast, like not just me. There's so many different walks of life different perspectives, different circumstances, why not platform, like you said, ordinary people so that the majority of us feel like we can relate and have that hope Mm -hmm. that things get better instead of living in this like fantasy land of what Instagram makes you feel like you should be, or you got to be the most beautiful and make the most money and everything's got to look extravagant and lavish when, you know, a lot of us are just living life. 
yeah trying to make it you know right yeah yeah i mean because i know just from listening to your content and stuff you definitely have a testimony like you definitely when you're talking about going through hard stuff like you've done that and oh, that yeah. i mean that that's probably one of the things that drew me to your content too is that you're not just a person with ideas like you're like no i've seen it i've gone through it so yeah share share a little bit okay so let's see for me um well, I was raised by my mom got pregnant with me at 16 years old. So up until age six, I grew up thinking that my stepdad was my real dad. Mm. And that is when they broke the news to me that he actually wasn't my biological father, um, that my father just wasn't in my life. And I think from that moment, it sparked this, this unconscious sense of unworthiness, wow. I suppose. I felt unworthy because I, I couldn't rationalize why my, why any biological parent would be okay with not being in a child's life, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I internalized that a lot and it, it made me very depressed from a very early age. And, um, my sister was born and she is my stepdad's biological daughter. And immediately I could feel the difference. Wow. I think because I internally knew mm -hmm. there is no biological connection, but to also see the difference in how he was with her compared to me, it even made me feel more wow. isolated and alone. And I just, I felt like I didn't belong. And even to prop, you know, when I, in retrospect, I think about it, you know, I'm the darkest one of all my siblings. I'm full-blooded Mexican. They're mixed with like European, Brazilian, Nicaraguan. Like mm -hmm. there, there, there are a lot of different things. So I stood out a lot with just appearance wise, which even more made me feel like, oh my gosh, people probably see me and they probably just automatically know that I don't, I'm, he's not my dad, you mm -hmm. know? And it just, it put me in a really dark place. And so we started having a lot of family problems. Um, it was, we were clashing heads a lot. It was felt like teams in my family, like my sister and my dad and me and my mom wow. felt like my mom was trying to make up mm -hmm. a lot for the love that I was lacking mm -hmm. from my, from the father figures in my life. Right. So fast forward to hit teenage years. And, um, I was really just letting out all my anger and frustrations through fighting. Like, and it was not that I was like being a bully. It was more so I would beat up the bully. Like that was my way of rectifying the pain that wow. people had caused me in my life, you know? And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm going to just take out all the hurt on the, on the people that hurt people because I felt so hurt, mm -hmm. you know? So I was constantly getting into physical altercations and then I hit 13 years old and that's when experimenting with drugs, you know, took place. I, I started smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Um, I started just being more rebellious. I felt like I finally had a voice. I was no longer going to tolerate not fitting in. I was just going to embrace it. Fuck it. Oh, sorry. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, F it. Like if I'm already the outcast, the black sheep, the one that doesn't fit into my family, then I'm just going to like, I'm just going to strap up and that's what I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I started doing my old, my own thing. I was clashing so much with my family and I was also equally in the deepest depression I had ever been in. Like it really hit me when I was a teenager hmm. and I had gone through, um, I was raped when I was 13 years old by my friend's older brother. And I had kept that with me. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell anybody. 
um, I, I told some of our friends, but I, I told them in a way that was like, made it seem like it was consensual. Yeah. He had like threatened that he was going to out it or say that I wanted it. And he, there was like a big age gap yeah. between us. So I was dealing with that and nobody had any idea that I was dealing with that. And I didn't even start opening up and talking about that until about my early twenties. And that was to my fiance, because it was just one of those things I just could not face. Mm -hmm. So I feel like going through that and dealing with it on top of feeling like I don't belong, obviously being treated like I don't belong. Mm -hmm. um, and just feeling like I had to fend for myself. Um, I got to a point that I was like, I'm done. I'm done living. There is no purpose in me living anymore. I'm just here suffering. I'm in so much pain. And I craved an internal peace so bad that I, I genuinely believe the only way that I could get that peace was to commit suicide. Mm. And so at 16 years old, I completely attempted to, to end my own life. I opened up the cabinet. I took whatever I could find. I drank bleach, literally anything that would poison me into oblivion. I was so ready. And I tell people all the time, there has been no feeling in my life other than feeling the Holy Spirit that will ever top how it feels to really believe that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. It is the most intense feeling ever to think this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm cool. And I'm cool with it. Like I'm cool with being at peace. Mm -hmm. But, um, I ended up getting taken to the hospital. Um, I got 5150 for about a week. And in there is where I actually found that there is a strength in me that I must have if God did not take me. Mm -hmm. Then there has to be a reason why I am here going through the things that I'm going through, dealing with what I'm dealing with internally and mentally. And I told myself that, okay, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight my depression. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that I'm going to overcome this because if, if I wasn't meant to, then I would be dead by now. Mm -hmm. So I then began my journey to come out of my depression. And it was just a really wacky time. Like my first love had a baby with somebody else. And wow. so I was like trying to get out of my depression. And then here's like the love of my life that was worked with my dad, lived with my aunt. I'm over here thinking like teenage, hopeless, romantic. We're yeah. going to grow old together. He ends up having a baby on me. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Well, there goes my one person, you know, mm -hmm. outside of my family. And then um, a year or so passed and I was I was doing good. I was getting myself out of depression. I finally felt more confident with myself. I felt like I still didn't know my purpose. I was doing a little bit better in school. And I met the father of my kids, my now fiance. And um, at that time still, though, nothing was good with my family. We were not getting along. Everything was really bad. My, my stepdad was like, leave, get out of the house. Like, you don't have to be here. No one wants you here anyways. So I was still feeling very much outcasted. And then um, my fiance at the time was just a whole different person than he, than he is now. And before I knew it, I was in a very bad domestic violence situation. Wow. And it was like from night and day, I, I, I didn't know how I had allowed it to get there. In retrospect, I see that what it boiled down to is I had low self-worth. And because I felt like I never belonged in my family, 
I was willing to go through those things because at least he loved me because mm. I never felt love, mm-hmm. you know, at least he loved me. So I'll, I'll put up with whatever physical aspect of this relationship, because you give me something that I've never had. And, um, it took a lot for me. It took about a year for me to really like get to the point that I was like, I have to leave. And I thank my oldest daughter because she was the one that really gave me that epiphany. I remember waking up and, and looking at her and thinking to myself, how could I raise a strong daughter if I'm not being strong myself? Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's a hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to do it. I can't tell her to be a strong woman, to never put up with these things, to be confident, to love herself if I'm not doing those things. So I left him and I thought I was on a better path, but I think what happened after I left him is that everything of my whole life just caught up to me. Like all my traumas just hit me at once. And my go-to to numb myself from that was drugs. Mm-hmm. So I fell really bad into crystal meth. Um, I was going to college at the time. I had ended up getting a new boyfriend, raising my daughter on my own. Um, Cause it was really bad with me and her dad at the time. And my family was still not talking to me. So I was trying to juggle everything and balance it out on my own. And I think I fell victim to crystal meth because it gave me that energy. It gave me that focus. I could go to school. I could be a mom. I could do what I got to do. And it provided everything that I needed. And And how old were you at the time? At that time, I was 19 years old. Wow. Okay. I was 19 years old. Yeah, because I had my daughter. I got pregnant with her at 17, had her at 18 years old. So I was 19 and going through this. And much like the domestic violence, before I knew it, I was completely sucked in. Just everything revolved around getting my next fix Mm -hmm. and doing that. And I, and I vividly remember the day that I was like, what am I doing, Amy? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. I, I had nowhere to live, no car, me and my daughter, we were jumping house to house or whoever would let us stay. And I had $9 to my name. And my friend at the time, uh, who, who would also do drugs with me. She was an escort. And I was like trying to get her out of that life because she was such a like golden soul. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, you don't need to sell your body. No one, no one should have access to your, you know, your vessel like that. Like that is your temple. And she actually went and she busted a date. She went and she saw John so that we could feed my daughter. And that's when it really hit me how, how rock bottom I had hit. I am, my my friend just did the very thing that I am trying to get her not to do in order for me to be able to feed my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I just knew I, I had to kick it. And I knew it was going to take a level of vulnerability. And my mom wasn't talking to me. And I, I told myself, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I had called my mom. I said, Mom, I know you're not talking to me. Um, but I'm, I'm sick. I'm going through something. I don't, I don't want you to ask me what it is. Cause I was still like embarrassed, you know, and yeah. I guess I still, I still believe like when you're an addict, you think that you don't look like an addict or that you're not be- like, you think that you got it under control or that nobody can tell, mm-hmm. but everyone can tell, mm-hmm. you know? And that's where I was still at, like convincing myself that I had control over this drug and that it hadn't consumed me the way that it did. So when I asked my mom, like to please not ask me, 
it kind of makes me laugh now because I'm like, she knew, she mm -hmm. totally knew that I, something was wrong, you know, and that I was on drugs. And um, she came over for that week and took care of me. And that was the moment that I truly, truly decided that I want to get my life together. And the person that I was back then, I was so degenerate. I, I don't even talk the same way that I used to talk. Like I was very much involved in what's now called hood culture. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Selling drugs, being around guns, being around hoodlums. That is what I grew up around. Like I, I grew up in North Highlands, um, Sacramento, which is a really like ghetto hood area. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to Galt, um, which is in California and it's a small red town. Uh, but still I was the ghettoest one in my, you know, in my town, moved back to Sacramento and that's just the people that I was around. So I normalized a lot of that mentality, a lot of that, you know, street mentality. And, um, I, I just knew that I, I didn't want to be that anymore. You know, I, I saw where everyone was at in that life and living that life. And, and to me, the, the word that I would use for it is it's game goofy. And how, how, how do I translate that? Let me <laughs> people who don't know, do you know what that means? Uh -uh. Like, okay. So, so people, so there's the game, right? Like the hustle, yeah. you hustle yeah. or whatever. Right. And there's, there's laws that you abide by, right? There's like a code of ethics that you abide by. And when you do funny stuff, when you move funny or you, you, you don't know how to be a good business person, you're goofy. Like your game is goofy. You don't know okay. how to be a good hustler. You don't know how to be good at what you're doing. And I applied that hood mentality to where I was at spiritually in my life. I, I, to me was like, you're being game goofy with your life right now. You are not making the moves that you need to make in your life and not financially. I mean, spiritually and emotionally, you are getting sucked into this environment. These people that really, they have nothing to lose. You have a daughter, you know, God, you come from a good family. Why are you allowing yourself to stay in this, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's when everything changed. And from that day forward, I, I told myself, I asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I was going to trust in whatever direction he led my life. And I kid you not, within three years, I was like a whole different person. Every relationship got better. I, my relationship with my parents got better. My fiance and I got back together. And he was like a whole new person, completely new person. I almost didn't recognize who he was anymore. And he was like the person I always believed that he could be when we were going through domestic violence. Yeah. And so we ended up having our, our second daughter and then came our sons. And then this whole last seven years has really just been dedicated to being the best version of ourselves, coming together to be the best parents that we can be. And for me, pursuing my passion and just sharing everything with everybody so that they can see, like, you can go from being a degenerate, actively engaged in hood culture, like, who had problems with the law. I, I caught my first case at seven, at 16, mm -hmm. caught a, a gun charge at 20, mm -hmm. you know, like, I went from being a drug addict, going through everything that I went through, domestic violence, all of that. And I came out and I, and I, I did it with the grace of God, you know, but I also had the discipline and the desire in myself. And, um, that's really what led me down to doing what I do and the content that I make and just being an overshare, I guess, of, 
the things that people probably wouldn't share. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just in hopes that it touches somebody and somebody's like, you know what? I feel this and this is me, you know? And yeah. Give them hope, I guess. Yeah. Were you, so, I mean, it, it's kind of funny how everything started. You said at six and finding out, you know, your stepdad wasn't your biological, biological father. Um, that had to, I mean, that had to rock you. At that point, like, was there any sign, like, I mean, he took that on, right, to obviously raise you, and and that probably wasn't a thought before then. Yeah. I mean, and and it's kind of funny how, I don't know, I just think of how important family is, and you were talking about coming from a good family, and there's all of these things that happened, you know, but there was still this good family where even though they drew a boundary of, like, no, you can't be here, no, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, you did an episode with your mom. And so obviously, you know, there was these bridges that, that were built, but how powerful family is, oh, you yeah. know, in somebody's life, because I think about, I think about stupid mistakes, you know, that I've done and I've, I've, I've talked about it, you know, on, on this podcast. I don't think I've, I've talked about the jail stuff before, but I mean, like yeah. I did a couple, couple stints there, you know, I went through a period of like smoking weed and doing all of that kind of stuff too. And, and it's just weird when you look at the actual statistics, how there's no reason why you should be where you are right now. Like, 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 like there's, there's, if you just look at what happened to you and any one of those things is a big enough reason for your life to not be the way that it is right now, whether it's meth, whether it's, you know, um, uh, the fact that you had been raped, whether it's, you know, any of that kind of stuff, um, could, could have, could have been that. And it's just, um, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling, but it also has to be humbling. Oh, very much so. Like very much so. I, I tell my parents, um, they obviously weren't perfect in the sense of providing emotional stability for me, you know, and I think in part because my mom was an immigrant. She's now a citizen and a nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a felon. He's now a business owner. Um, their adversities in their life were more financial. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what they focused on is providing a financially better life for our family. Yeah. And what ended up failing was the emotional aspect of it. And I was a very emotional person, but the fundamentals that they instilled in me, I feel like is what allowed for me to stray so far, but come back. Yeah. Because they, they, although they weren't perfect emotionally, the morals that they instilled in me, the values that they instilled in me, introducing me to God and and going to church, even when I would fight it when I was younger, like, when I needed all of that the most is when I came back to my roots. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes, I feel, family so important. That's what makes me so dedicated to being aware of what I model for my children. You know, me and my husband or fiance constantly analyzing ourselves and being self-aware. Are we meeting their needs? Are we creating a space for them to feel safe telling us what their needs are? Mm-hmm. Are we being balanced? Are we, you know, constantly analyzing ourselves to provide that solid foundation because I feel like that's my way of thinking, okay, no matter how far my kids stray, because they may, I I think in terms of my situation, right? I feel like even though my family provided me that, that foundation, the things that I went through in life generationally, my family has experienced. And the light that I've become for my family, 
I am seeing the healing take place in yeah. each of them yeah. because I'm now able to share the wisdom with them that I gathered from getting through those things. Mm -hmm. So a part of me is like, well, you could set it up good for a kid, right? You could give him or her the best life, but only God knows what their destiny is. Only God knows what they are meant to go through. And who knows what generational things that children are going to have to heal that we might not even understand yet. Yeah. So if we instill in them that good foundation, those values, those morals, then I feel like no matter how far they stray, they will come back to what they know eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the older, the older that I get, and I guess I don't, I, I didn't ask this cause you were given like different ages when, when things had happened. So how old are you now? 27. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm, jeez. That makes my knees and my back hurt. So I'm going to be turning 39 uh, in, in in April. Oh, that's not and, even bad. Uh, oh, so my, my, I'm like, you're going to see me like start like <laughs> popping my back and stuff. But like the older that I get, the more grace I have for my parents and mistakes that they made or like not being able to do certain things right, even though I needed it as a kid. Like, mm -hmm. because I mean, my, my parents were divorced when I was like in kindergarten, right around the same age. And yeah. it's kind of funny because in my mind, I was the oldest. So I played off for so long, like, oh, no, that's not me. Like, that's between them. Like, I, I know it's not I didn't cause, you know, anything. That's yeah. totally fine, right? Um, but then it wasn't until my teenage years that for whatever reason, like, a family being torn apart still sucks, yeah. even if it's not your fault. Right. Like yeah. it impacts. And so it doesn't need to be somebody's fault for it to suck and for it to be bad and for it to hurt. Um, and I just thought that because it wasn't anybody's fault, nobody had to be hurt, but I really was. Um, yeah. but then now like coming, coming back, I'm like, you know what? Like my mom was a teenager. Of course there was going to be trauma. Like she yeah. didn't know who she was, you know, you're, you're 16, right? Like, yeah. like what the hell? Like, of course, <laughs> like yeah, something's going to happen. So yeah. And you're trying to grow together and find yourself. And you're at this like really pivotal age in your life while also having something as serious as children and a family. Like it definitely presents its challenges. Yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of funny now just like looking at how differently family is viewed now <laughs> um, with it because like, like, uh, I know, I know you can't tell I'm partly cause the light or whatever, but I'm full blood Mexican also. And oh, so nice. like a lot of our, a lot of our parents had kids young. That's just like, that's just what happened. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of, I mean, it's, that, that just happened young. And then part of it is my entire family's Catholic too. So like there wasn't a lot of trying to stop it if it did happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so like now though, and we could probably both relate to this as parents, everybody kind of wants to push that building a family off further and further until they're ready. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I can, I can almost guarantee that if, that if you were to ask my parents or if you were to ask, you know, um, your parents or you've experienced too, without your daughter, you probably wouldn't have grown up like that rite of passage and that sort of responsibility, if you choose to take it up and culturally just, just 
us being Mexican, like that is a responsibility that, that, that you pick up as family. Like that's just, that's just an expectation. Like it grows you and it forces you to not think of yourself, um, solely, even though like in both of our instances, I think good days, bad days. Um, but I do like, I think today family isn't looked at the same and isn't seen as valuable and isn't seen as a rite of passage the way that it was. And so like growing up, being responsible to something that is not yourself um, is letting people hurt a lot, a lot, a lot longer. I you agree. Know. Oh, go ahead. I go ahead. Yeah. The, the climate of society right now, as it pertains to how they view family to me, I, I think it's, I think it's purposeful. I think they are purposely trying to deconstruct the family because like you said, statistically speaking, people that come from good families have the one up in life. That's, you know, they, you statistically will probably get more ahead because of the solid foundation that you have. And we're almost enabling this deconstruction of the family that is creating a lot more people that, like you said, are hurting. And I think what people are doing is they're using they're using the wisdom that or the the faults in our parents or in our ancestors as an excuse to say this is why families aren't healthy. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know what, my family may not have known how to communicate in this way or be healthy in this way or whatever, but I can change that for the next generation. Mm-hmm. I can build a family and I can instill in my family what wasn't instilled in me mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, because I come from a family that was toxic or couldn't communicate or whatever, I'm never going to get married or I'm just going to focus on my career. I don't want to be a mom or I want to just abort the babies that I have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I do get pregnant and avoid responsibility. And I think it's just um, a scapegoat, a scapegoat, really. Yeah. I think uh, culture has become so toxic. I never would have thought that striving to have a family would be so extreme mm-hmm. this really become extreme like to say that you want a nuclear family i've talked about the nuclear family on tiktok and i get people that are like this is like colonization mindset this is western and you know it just it is just it blows me away i'm just like oh i i didn't know wanting to be in my children's life in the healthiest manner that i could be would be something so controversial to say yeah, well, and I, I think that just comes from a misunderstanding of like, like <laughs> Latinos were the were the nuclear family before the nuclear family. <laughs> like, like, like the nuclear family wasn't coined till the 1950s. And I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I think that you have to thinking of somebody else, whether that's even it, if you can't have kids. Like, for example, um, we found out. So I, I have to be a Mexican unicorn of some kind because I can't have kids. <laughs> so like my wife and I have to use a donor every, every, every single time. Um, but like even just being married to somebody and saying, oh, I can't just go out because I have to, I have to consider somebody else or I can't just do whatever I want because I have to consider some, somebody else. Like that's not, that's not a burden. That's maturity. <laughs> like like yeah. somebody who, who who gets to do and who tries to preserve to like doing whatever they want when they want 
is the definition of immaturity. <laughs> yeah, it's very selfish as well. Um, yeah, and and there's impacts to that. The older the older that you get, because it's um, I forget who I was who I was I was it was a video or something that I was listening to, but it's like it's okay to be young and be that because you're just full of potential and you're figuring it out and you're and you're trying to do that. But if you're like thirty, and you're still only acting on your whims or trying to preserve as long as you can being able to act on your whims. Like that is a 40 year old toddler with some yeah. skills from work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that 40 year old. Do you think, do you think that we have this mentality? Cause you mentioned you're the oldest, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that we are more prone, like eldest children are more prone to understand the impactfulness of thinking, um, thinking about people other than yourself because we're oldest children and we had to do that for our siblings? Uh, I, I think, I think so. Um, I think in particular in your situation and in my situation. So I think it's different if the parent is there all the time mm -hmm. and you, you don't have to think that way out of necessity. Yeah. Right. Cause there's good and bad. There's good and bad to that. Right. A parent yeah. who's there all the time and who gets to stay home. Good part is that they're there and they get to stay home. The downside, though, is that um, there isn't an opportunity for the eldest to step up and provide some sort of structure um, to yeah. that. You know, and that's the good side to that is they do grow up that way. But, yeah, I mean, I know for me with with my sister and I, we got really close um, uh, when when we were little. I was a latchkey kid. So when my when my um, parents got divorced, I'd walk a mile home from kindergarten, you know, from the school and we'd, we'd be at home until mom got home at seven when she got, you know, when she got off of work and came. So, yeah. you know, I couldn't even tell you to this day, like what we did, but I knew that we were at home together and I knew that like, you know, we, we figured it out. Um, yeah. but I do think that there's an element, an element to that of like, okay, like I have to step up. I have to, they need me. And I also think that's important. I think that's an important value of family to begin with. Mm -hmm. Right, because yeah. the family is the smallest community in any society, and it teaches you how to pick up whatever responsibility, even if it's as a kid, right? Like, hey, yeah. if mom makes dinner, that means she doesn't do dishes. Or if, you know, you clean your room, that, that teaches you how to be a part of a team on the smallest, on the smallest level, yeah. you know? And that doesn't mean that people aren't, aren't going to get hurt or that it's, it, it's, that there's going to be toxic things that happen. There's always going to be toxic things that happen because you're dealing with humans. Like yeah. that's just the way, but the family should be that one thing that like, you know, nobody's going away and it forces you to figure it out. Yeah. You saying that right now really just made me think about um, society as a whole. Right. And how you said that family is the smallest community. Mm -hmm. It's so true. We are the smallest community. If, and if there's more of us, right, more people that are dedicated to their families and then they instill those values and then we come together, I feel like society would be much different than what it is now. I feel like society has become so selfish, but they don't realize that in their selfishness, they're not learning the fundamentals of being there, truly, truly being there for other people. Yeah. Even though they claim that more... Um, I feel like they, they claim that more moral high ground that they, they believe they truly do care about other people by letting other people just do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I feel like structure is necessary 
to also caring for people, caring for community and caring for the world as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause people want, and that just boils down to identity, right? Like, like mm-hmm. what is my role in this thing, you know, yeah. in this, in this society and you kind of find it. And in family, that's where you, that, that, that is the easiest way to find it is you have four walls and you figure that out. And then once you yeah. do that, then hopefully that family is a part of a larger community, which could be church, which could be um, sports, which could be whatever. And then the family figures out, okay, how do we interact with that on a larger scale? Yeah. What is our role in that? What is our dishes, right? <laughs> right to, yeah. to, to that community and what are we about to that? And then it just scales out. And what I think, what I think is happening right now is with people being so isolated, they don't get the practice of being a part of that smaller core community of family. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, put it off as long as possible, mm-hmm. right? It's to mm-hmm. learn that. But yet those same, um, and, I, and, I, and I don't want to say this like in a bad way, like, oh, those same people are hypocrites because we all are in a lot of ways. But like those same people want to have an impact on like, whatever it is, global warming or this big issue or that big issue and that big issue when it's like, well, no, like that's not a skill that that you just learn. Like you can't do heart surgery because you know how to take your temperature and give yourself medicine, right? Like you have to, you have to learn, you have to gain the skills and you have to pick up the heaviest thing possible that you can so that you can get strong and then pick up the next heaviest thing possible. And sometimes you're not ready for the next heaviest thing that's going to, that that's going to happen to you. Right? Like nobody, I don't care if, if you are 36 years old, which I was, uh, when we had our, our, our little man, um, I don't care if you're that old, you are never, ever ready to be a parent. It is always going to be way too heavy. It is always going to be that. And then you, you, there's this identity crisis of like, well, where's my frame of reference for being a parent? Oh shoot. It's this person who like, I held all of this animosity towards for all of what they put me through. And so you have to like work through, well, where's the good with the bad? Or am I going to go hard opposite of what I experienced? Because maybe it was truly toxic. Like it's not minimizing real hurt, but it's like you have like this little person, (laughs) you know, and, and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think that's the gift of children too, that, that, um, they, they present to you, you know, I, I hear a lot of times that people are like, um, that they think that us parents are teaching our children. And in many ways we are, we are teaching our children. Right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in more ways, our children teach us mm-hmm. the things that I've learned about myself, about my family, about the kind of woman I want to be, the relationship I want to have, how I want to be on a day-to-day basis, the relationship I want my children to have with each other, with us, with family. I was taught that from my children. Yeah. They taught me how to be the most selfless version of myself and to love every moment of it, to not look at it as a burden, to not look at it as like, I'm giving up my life, but rather I have this new life that's more (laughs) abundant in every aspect. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of children, you know, I truly feel like children are so purposeful and that they save people. My daughter saved me, mm-hmm. you know, and this whole climate of like abortion and stuff. I know that I, I guess for everybody it's circumstantial, but it, I often wonder how many people are killing the, the one being in their life that would have saved them. Wow. 
you know, and how much longer are they going to go through their life not getting to the point or potential that they could be that that child could have catapulted them to. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was telling my fiance the other day, if I wouldn't have had my daughter, I don't know if I would have got it together by 21. Yeah. You know, I'm, I might've still been here 27, still being a complete degenerate. And it's know? possible because time is a funny thing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, yeah. like the years go by so fast and it's, so fast. it's completely possible that that could have happened, oh, you yeah. know? And it's, I mean, I know for us having, having little man like forced us part of that maturing process is like, you're not only, okay, I'm a parent now, but then there are things that like, you don't, you don't know that you have to deal with until your context changes, right? Like, like if you would have told uh, my wife and I that, like, what kind of parents do you want to be? Oh, we would have so been on the same page before actually being parents. Like, we would have been like, yeah, and this, 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 this. But then you actually have a child, and now her frame of reference is is um, being homeschooled for mm -hmm. all, all the way up until uh, all the way up until college, right, from beginning yeah. to end. And mine is both parents working, walking the mile home, latchkey Polar kid opposite. being very, you know, but like that frame of reference for what a parent is, you don't realize there's a clash because it, you just don't experience it until you're forced to deal with it. And that, again, that's not, I mean, you work it out and mm -hmm. you you put aside things and you find that happy middle. What are we going to be about, you know, um, because there's a balance there and you mature again. And, yeah. you know, for me, it happened, it happened later, but I can't imagine like if it would have been like earlier where if I would have had little man at 24, like how much more mature, how much more would I know, how much more wisdom, you yeah. know, what would I have had? And so like that makes me feel sad when people aren't, aren't starting families earlier because you're going to hit that wall. Like there's no way around yeah. that. You may be yeah, in a better financial situation. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. biologically, I was, I was having a really like, I was just in deep thought the other day with my fiance and I was thinking to myself about God, right? And I was thinking about like puberty and like, the age that we hit it, <laughs> peak reproduction, procreation timeline. And I'm like, man, people are just like, people I think believe that they can like, you could wait for a long time. Yeah. And it's like, biologically for women, we cannot, yeah. you know, we have a certain amount of eggs that can get fertilized and then it's like done. And then we have like a peak age range that is like our prime for bearing children. And then boom, we're like high risk. Mm -hmm. high risk pregnancy, high risk for so many other things. And it's just, it's kind of frightening to see. And it's, it is saddening in the sense that like, oh man, a lot of moms, because I've spoken to a lot of moms that prioritize their career over families, right? Mm -hmm. And for most of them, they all reach that age where they're like, okay, I've got my career, but I still don't have the fulfillment of legacy of something that I created that's mine, my blood, something that shares part of me. And they desire that. And then they're at this age where it's, it's harder for them mm -hmm. or they haven't found a man because they've been this hyper independent woman that doesn't need no man. And you know what I mean? And, um, it's sad because I feel like our kids have made me the most content with my life, yeah. even though it's been a struggle and it is a struggle because each, each phase of their life, 
requires a different version of you. Yeah. You know what my daughter, when she was one needed a version of me, when she was four, she needed a different version of me, eight, a different version of me because she's growing herself mm -hmm. and I myself have to grow with her. And then when you have multiple kids in that each kid is at a different stage that requires a different version of you. And sometimes you feel like you're a million people in a day, but it's so rewarding to see them grow, to see them grow into who they are, their mindset, the, the, the way they view life, the way they communicate and handle things, their character. Mm -hmm. To me, it's just the most fulfilling feeling ever Yeah. as a parent. Yeah. And I, I think that that's an honest discussion that needs that, that, that needs to happen in our society too, is like you, you can't have it all. Yeah. Um, that, that there are trade-offs and can we have yeah. an honest discussion about, and, and about what those trade-offs are? And to, yeah. And to not look at compromise as something that's a bad thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, even if we break it down to like a, a, a relationship level in a relationship that's balanced and harmonious, there needs to be compromise. You're not going to have your cake and eat it too. There's mm -hmm. going to be lots of conversations with your partner that if you guys are going to have to meet in the middle and learn to love each other the best way that you guys, that, that the best way for each other, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes that's going to be bending in certain aspects and that's not a negative thing. You don't have to, and, and this is where that selfish mentality is plaguing all the, the younger generation is they think that they can be that way. And, and people just have to accept you for who you are. The world has to conform for how you are. Everything just has to change for you. But really a lot of life is you wanting to change for your loved ones. Yeah. You wanting to change for yourself, your partner, your kids. And I think, you know? I think there's, there's something I really actually want to study that, um, more just what you, what, what you said just made me think about something because you can't, we are social beings. Like that's mm -hmm. just a biological thing, right? I mean, yeah. we are social beings and you can't expect, um, you can't expect the conformity to you and be a part of something at the same time without mm -hmm. having an impact on identity or without like figuring out what, what to be a part of. And I, I just, I see it all over where like people do want to feel a part of something. They want, they want an, an identity somewhere while not being, not having anybody tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, and, and those two things are not, you can't have both. Um, you, you can't have both. You can't have a job and not have a basic uniform, even if it's like, brush your hair, brush your teeth, <laughs> you know, look, yeah. look, look presentable. Right. I mean, th there, there's trade-offs and, um, I don't know with how quickly things are happening and how quickly the way that we've communicated on the scale that we've communicated, um, where you could be isolated and have a form of community with somebody on the other side of the world. Like, I don't think we understand the full impact of that yet. Cause it's happened so yeah. fast. Like it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting time. But what we do know is nothing can replace family. <laughs> yep, <laughs> like, I agree. And I think that's why shows like yours and mine are so important because it gives that relatability. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this, um, this climate of wanting to have your cake and eat it too, wanting to be a part, but also do whatever you want. Um, it's unrealistic. And when they hear real people and it's really isolating too. A lot of these people that I observe, they're very lost. 
you know, even though they want to be a part of something so much, they haven't yet gotten to know and explore who they are. And that is part of also the reason why I, I share testimony because people who are lost can be found in relatability. Mm -hmm. You see somebody, you relate to their story, relate to their testimony, and it, it plants those seeds that, that people need to find themselves to be yeah. found. You know, it's, and I feel like your work is so important because you also platform that as well, that authenticity. Yeah. Honest conversations that matter, you know? Well, and I, I just, I, I think it's important just because if you were to have everybody close their eyes in a big auditorium, and I was actually, I was actually um, uh, preaching at a, at, a, at, a, at a youth camp a couple years ago, and I had everybody close their eyes. And I said, you know, if you've ever felt alone, nobody open your eyes, raise your hand. And I went through like just four or five things. And I had like 10 things written down. But by the time I got to the like fourth or fifth one, everybody's hand was already up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like, uh, I then said, like, the last one I said was uh, whether or not you feel alone in what you struggle with. Everybody's hands up. So look around. The most popular person feels the same way you do. And yeah. the person who feels like they're not seen feels the same way that you do. So the number one lie that you've bought into and the number one thing that you could know is a lie is that you are alone. Because nobody made anybody else raise their hand. And like people were honest when their eyes were closed. And so nobody knew which question, which one caused them to raise their hand. But I mean, I think that authenticity and recognizing like I'm not alone there are days I feel like a crappy dad. There are days that I feel like a crappy mom. And I am. Like, it's not just like a feel like, no, you're you're a good dad. You're like, no, for real. I lost it on my son and I shouldn't have <laughs> lost it on my son. Like, for real. I was, I was crappy, you know, kind yeah. of a thing. And like, but that's okay. Because you're just, you're, you're figuring it out. Like, be better tomorrow, you know? It's part of the human experience. That's it. That's it. And you're doing the best that you can. And, and what might have happened... If I, you know, mess up or lose it when I shouldn't or say something pointed to my wife, doesn't make it okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? We're, we're a family and we're going to figure it out. And, and we're not going to give up experience. on each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, everything is a learning experience. Yeah. You know, and, and family dynamics teach you that because this is like <laughs> your safe place to fuck up. Yeah. Let's go. You know? Let's go. <laughs> my, my, kids, <laughs> my kids do so good in school. Yeah. They're back in school. I was homeschooling them for a little bit. Now they're back in school. And um, they're just so well behaved. I get so many compliments. Yeah. But I'm like, man, at home, you guys make me want to wrap my exactly. head through the wall. See? The See? That's. And the teacher was like, it's because at home they know they can be themselves. And then they come out here and you, you've taught them well enough to know how they should be in a classroom instead of acting out in the class because they can't Same. act out at home. And I was like, okay. That's, that's all we needed. We, we, yeah. we, we are 50 minutes in. And if that, that's, that's what I needed right there. I'm that I made me feel normal. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh universal my. struggle is universal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we're rounding the bend and I do want to ask you that last, that last question that I ask on every episode. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, some people are going to hear what you've been through. And they're going to think like, that is good for her. But like, she's on the other side of it. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's, I'm in the middle of it. And I don't know if everything's going to be okay. What would you, how would you encourage those people that if you can do it, they can do it too? Um, 
the way I would say it to you guys, and this is based off of where I was in my life. And, you know, I don't know if people are who are listening, if they're religious or believe in a higher power or anything. But for me, it was really allowing the Holy Spirit to guide my life and surrendering to that. And by surrendering, just having hope, having hope that, okay, there is a Lord, there is a higher power and faith that he will guide me through this part of my life and having faith that there is a purpose behind what I'm dealing with or going through. And I may not know it now, but I will eventually know it. And when I'm on the other side of it, I will look back at this moment and I will say it was all worth it. And it is, it is all worth it. So don't lose the hope. Always keep the faith and stay disciplined. That desire in your heart that is telling you to, to challenge yourself, answer it. That calling, answer it. That's what I would say. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ah, oh, well, thank you so much. Like this conversation I had, I don't know, I because we talked about heavy topics. So I don't know if fun is the right is the right word for it, but I really enjoyed it nonetheless. Yes, yes. There we go. Thank there we so go. Much for having me on, I really appreciate this opportunity. It was fun. I I I think it was fun. Even <laughs> it was I love heavy conversations. Ah, uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Well, well, this was absolutely phenomenal. And do not forget subscribe, do all those good things. Not just because you already know that you already know that's not the reason it's because there is rules to the game of podcasting. And if you want people to hear these stories, that means you have to subscribe, leave a review, all of that. But until next time, do something to make yourself proud this week. Okay. Oh, 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 oh,